I'm turning this morning to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. We'll be looking this morning at verses 15 through 17. And our subject for today will be the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord. One of the most comforting truths that has been to me personally uh, is the word forever. Uh, the word eternal. Uh, to know that within the will of God... There is this element, this aspect of that I am forever His. And somehow, some way, that I as a sinner was brought to a place of repentance and belief in Christ. And knowing that in some way, uh, God's will for me was to be one of His. I can't claim it for myself as far as why. I don't know why He did that, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that in his providence and in his will, uh, he has chosen to redeem me for his own. I want to just draw your attention, first of all, to verse 17, where we see this subject. We're going to be dealing with verses 15 through 17, but I want to just use this text as we begin. Paul says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Uh, There was no planning on my part today for there to be an emphasis on the word understanding. This is just the way uh, that the Lord often works. Uh, As we're studying through the book of Obadiah, we, we go verse by verse, and we dealt this morning during our Bible study with the understanding being taken away from Edom. But notice in sharp contrast, as Paul writes to the believers at Ephesus, He declares to them that what he wants for them is to understand the will of the Lord. You see, understanding has been given to those who are his, those who are the children of God. It'll help us to remember that when Paul penned these words to the church at Ephesus, he was a prisoner in Rome. Uh, If anyone could write with such encouragement and such edification in such a circumstance, Paul is that perfect picture. Imagine being a prisoner of the Roman Empire and yet still with exceeding joy writing about his appreciation and his love for the believers at Ephesus. It's always been remarkable to me that Paul doesn't write in his letters asking for a contingency to come and rescue him from prison. He doesn't ask them to rise up and say, listen, would you come and do your very best with swords and staves and whatever you can bring, fire and overrun the, in your best ability, overrun the Roman government, the Roman Empire, and deliver me from this prison. Instead, he writes to the benefit and the welfare of other believers. What an amazing lesson there is even in that thought. That even in his own circumstances, Paul was not concerned about his own well-being, but he was concerned about the well-being of those converts, those Gentiles and Jews who were now worshiping together under the same roof. And again, we've learned throughout our study of the book of Ephesians what an amazing thing that was to have Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. And yet, as we review where we've been in this book, we understand that this epistle, as it was written by Paul, its purpose was to strengthen the Ephesians in their faith. When we gather together as believers, it ought to strengthen us in our faith. It ought to strengthen us in our faith in Christ. Not our strength in the building, not our strength even in one another, but our strength in Christ. And by doing that, Paul was 
purposed to give them an exalted view of God. Who is God really? Not a figment of our imagination, but who is God really? When we have an exalted view of God, of course, we know about his love. We think about his majesty. We think about his excellency, his sovereignty. And those thoughts ought to strengthen us. They ought to fortify us. They ought to make us stronger in what we believe. And that's what Paul's intent was. But the thing I think we often forget about is that the cross itself was a scandalous event. The cross itself was not something that people walked around and glorified in and saying, hey, we're proud of the cross. We're, 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 it was a scandal to be a follower of a man that had been crucified on a cross. To many, it was scandalous. It was, why would you do that? They needed to be strengthened. Uh, there was a pure hatred towards people of the cross, not unlike what we see today. It's hard to understand, but there's a true hatred for people who follow Christ. Uh, you and I don't get that because we know it's the most glorious thing we've ever come in contact with. We know the cross of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished for us. There's no hatred, but only a response of love and admiration for what God has done. But yet, remember Paul reminded them that they were indeed saved by grace, no matter how wretched they once were. He reminded them that grace now had given them equal privileges with the Jews. The Gentiles and Jews were now on level ground. Imagine that. That was unthinkable at one time. And he's encouraging them to perseverance. Maintain your Christian call. Maintain your walk. Walk worthy of your calling. Urges them to walk worthy that is reflective of your profession. Faithfully obey the duties of your following of Christ. We saw in the first eight verses of chapter 5, Paul gave us a greeting. He reminded them of their saving blessings. He reminded them of their eternal election, that they had been purchased by Christ's blood. In verses 9 through 14, we dealt and learned about effectual calling and how that was applied to the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles. What a glorious truth effectual calling is. And we studied that in our confession study. What a beautiful picture. And in verses 15 through 23, Paul thanks God for their faith. He thanks God for their love. He prays that they would continue in their knowledge and continue in their hope with respect to understanding their inheritance. But also to remind them of God's powerful working in them. One of the great things we often fail to see is that God powerfully works in his people. This is not just some show that's being outwardly given. God actually works powerfully in his people. He works through the Spirit. Paul reminds them that to be a saint in heaven is to be a saint here. We realize sainthood is not because of perfect obedience, but all who are in Christ are saints. Those who are believers in Christ ought to live that way. They ought to live up to the profession they make with relation to God. So all by grace... Paul says in verse 17, I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand his free, unmerited, unearned, undeserved love. Understand your undeserved, unmerited, his favor. Remember all the graces of the Spirit. Remember the working of the Spirit in your life. Remember the peace he brings. Remember, there is no peace without grace. Grace comes from God the Father through the Son and is demonstrated through the Spirit. 
Paul says, I want you to understand the will of the Lord. Probably throughout church history, there's probably nothing that's been more misunderstood, misinterpreted than the will of the Lord or the will of God. Often people limit the will of the Lord as to some simple event as to what to do next. What's my life going to be in five years? And the will of the Lord is something so much more than that. And that's what Paul wants him to understand. And he gives us kind of the context here in verses 15 and 16. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. These three verses, I could probably, and I haven't determined if I'm going to move off of this. You could preach three separate sermons easily on all three of these verses. You could, you could preach just on what it means to walk circumspectly. You could certainly preach, and it has been a popular subject of messages throughout years, redeeming the time, some done well and some done very, very poorly. But you could also preach about the evil days. But when you get to the will of the Lord, there's often this wonder, okay, what exactly does that mean? Because Paul says, I want you to understand what it is. He leaves us at a place that connects verses 15 and 16 to understanding what the will of the Lord is, and then it carries on through verses 18, 19, and 20, and then into verse 21 as part of the will of the Lord. So primarily, we're going to deal this morning with just verses 15 and 16 about how these connect to what the will of the Lord is. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Now the see then is connected to verse 14. Remember in true biblical exposition, you cannot separate these thoughts and say, okay, this is a different thought. Forget what we just learned. Verse 14, he had said, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. We spent an entire message last week on Christ shall give thee light. So then Paul says, as a result of that light, see then that you walk circumspectly. The word walk is an active word. It's a verb. It means what it sounds like. It's active. It's moving. It's not stationary. It's not in one place. And he says, not as fools, but as wise. So there's an implication here that to not be active is to be unwise. To be standing and not walking is foolish. But notice he said, see then, and he's talking to a very specific group of people. He's talking to the brethren. The Jews and the Gentiles alike. It's an exhortation. Remember, Paul is writing from Rome and he's writing back to Ephesus. And he says, I want you to take heed to how you walk. Now, of course, he doesn't mean how we walk physically, whether we walk with long strides or short strides. He's talking about our conduct. He's talking about our conversation in life. The believer's walk is not just indicated outwardly, but it's, it's indicated two ways, inwardly and outwardly. There's an inward walk and there's an outward walk. In other words, we don't just say that, that person's walking like a believer because there's an inward aspect to this. Okay, we're going to kind of expound on that in here in a minute. So our inward walk is solely based upon our faith in Christ. So how I walk inwardly is based upon solely my faith in Christ. That's inward. But my outward walk is how I conduct myself with other people. Oftentimes, we assume an outward walk reflects a proper inward relationship. 
In other words, if I can just teach you how to walk properly, the inward doesn't really matter. That's not what Paul has in mind. Paul has in mind that the reason you walk properly outwardly is because your inward walk is proper because it's in Christ alone. Everybody see the connection? That's what he's talking about. I'm only going to be able to walk properly if I have the inward walk settled, which is in Christ. That's what Paul has in mind here. What this means that a walk also not only supposes activity, it supposes that there's life there. Okay, a dead man doesn't walk. A dead man doesn't move. That means there's life. What does life require? Life requires the ability. It requires strength. It requires movement to continue, to progress. It takes patience. It takes courage. Learning how to walk is a challenging thing. <laughs> We're watching that in our church, aren't we? We're watching little ones learn how to walk. And as we watch the little ones walk... Every week, it's a little bit more and a little bit more. And we're, we're, we're praising and congratulating because they're, they're, he's moving better and walking better than he did before. Before we know it, he's going to be running. That's just, that's what happens. And again, we can, we can focus on the outward, but realize Paul is talking not just about what is actually seen, but what's actually going on inwardly. For many, many years, probably a lot of us were subjected to an emphasis, an overemphasis on the outward walk without any real desire of an inward change. And it, it's, it's the idea, and again, I'm not trying to be insulting. This, I'm, some of this is just from my own personal experience that I'm saying it, 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 it lends itself to the Pharisee, to where I clean everything up on the outside, and as long as my outside walk looks right, then everything is fine, but inwardly, it's filthy. It's dirty. Just like the Lord said about the cup. You clean the outside of the cup, but if I look inside that cup, it's filthy. Your whitewashed sepulchers, they're beautiful tombs, but inside of that tomb is a dead, rotting corpse, right? That's what's happening. Folks, you can, you can get your walk right outwardly. You can look right, smell right, talk right, and inwardly be a corrupt, filthy mess. That's what Paul has in mind. He, he's not just saying, look, I'm, I'm concerned about how you're stepping. I'm more concerned with what's going on inwardly. Our walk should be seen. Now, make no mistake about it. I don't believe Paul is calling people to only be concerned about your inward and leave your outward walk to your own privacy. I believe we're called to live outwardly a certain way that reflects the glory of Christ. That's going to determine where we go, what we say. It's going to determine even those things people say may delve into some legalism, but that's not what he has in mind here. Our walk is, should be reflective of what's happened inwardly. And if our faith is in Christ, it's going to result in changes. Again, to walk circumspectly, that word circumspectly, is a, it's an interesting word. It's a word that has its eyes on it. It's, his eyes are on him. He's walking with diligence. He's careful. He wants to be sure that he's accurate. He's doing all things to the ultimate power of his strength and power to look as what's taking place on the inside. Circumspect is to really have your eyes with attention to detail. How much am I reflecting the inward faith that I have in Christ? Now he makes a connection here. As we walk circumspectly, it means to look well to where you're going as well. Where, where is your walk taking you? Where does, where does your outward walk take you? 
And he makes a connection. He says, not as fools, but as wise. Who is it that walks like a fool? Who doesn't look and doesn't pay attention to where he's going? He walks in his own way. His ways are crooked. He walks in the way of sin, the way of darkness. He walks after the flesh. He doesn't care if he's wearing the garments of righteousness like we, or the garments of salvation like we read in Isaiah 61 are called to worship. I love that portion where it talks about the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. What a beautiful picture that is. Because those are things that we don't actually have on. There, there is no uh, Christian store that you go to and you walk in to say, I, I would like a, a, a robe of righteousness, please. I would like the code of salvation. Now, somebody will probably try it, but that's not what he's, that's not what he's talking about in Isaiah. But there is this beautiful picture that, that Paul is talking about here. And he says, it's the fool who has no garment of a holy life. He doesn't have the robe of righteousness. The fool walks according to his own rules, not according to God's rules. Those who make Christ their pattern have the Spirit as their guide. They walk in the way that becomes the gospel of Christ. They walk as a way and they walk in wisdom. They walk, as we mentioned in 10 o'clock today, they walk as... Pilgrims and strangers in this world knowing we're looking for a better country. We're looking for a better place. We're looking to promote the glory of God. Our walk is to promote the glory of God. That's part of understanding the will of the Lord. Again, there's a lot of definitions of how do I promote the glory of God. Sadly, throughout many years, the glory of God becomes, look what I've done. God never had in mind that his glory is to look at you unless you're saying, look at me and look what God has done. Look how God took me to what I once was. Remember, he said, you were sometimes darkness. Remember that strong word Paul used a couple weeks ago when he said, you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, verse number eight. There is such a contrast between the way you used to walk and the way you walk now. That's what Paul has in mind. Walk this way. Don't walk as a fool. Walk in a way that promotes the glory of God. Part of understanding the will of the Lord is this, that his people are called to walk in a way that promotes the glory of God. Now, Paul was using these illustrations here about driving away darkness. Our own walk is to drive away that which is dark. We, are, we should not be blind to our own conduct. You should be aware of your walk. You should be aware of even the impression you give of who God is. You know, like I said, I, I grew up in an environment where it was, don't do this, don't do this, don't wear this, don't wear this. And in some cases, I'm not saying it was totally wrong. But I don't know if I was ever challenged to walk in a way that promotes the glory of God. Now, now that's, a, that's a different way of looking at this, is it not? How, how my walk, does it promote the glory of God? Or am I just trying to clean up the walk so that it looks okay, but inwardly, there's really nothing changed? Now, that's a challenging thought to me. I'm asking myself, standing here before you today, does my own walk promote the glory of God? And if it does, what am I basing that on? 
Is it just strictly based upon what I wear, what I look like, or what, what actually promotes the glory of God? And that's what Paul is getting to here. When the light of Christ has been given, which we saw in verse 14 last week, what darkness is, should be revealed. You know, before Christ's light shines upon us, we are walking in dark. We're walking in a way, and we're walking blindly because we can't see. The unconverted soul is walking in darkness because they can't see where they're going. They, they can't see the path. They're walking according to what they can see. And in darkness, you can see nothing. But when the light of Christ shines upon us, now we are to walk as those who are in the light. So Paul uses these metaphors of darkness and light. And to walk circumspectly. Walk as wise men. Walk as people who understand the Lord. Another kind of one of those great secrets to remind yourself of, like I said, education and having someone teach you and having, you know, having, I'm not against that. I'm not against seminary. I'm not against Bible college. All those things are fine. But realize your greatest level of understanding is going to come from the Lord himself. And it's going to come in your own personal desire to learn from him. What I will tell you is oftentimes, and what happens is when someone teaches us, we take on the characteristics of that teacher. Sometimes that's good. Paul, Paul himself said, listen, you can follow me as long as I'm following Christ, but if I stop following Christ, stop following me, right? So, but again, it is God who's teaching us and giving us understanding. Use every resource you can to get understanding, but Paul is saying, listen, understand what the will of the Lord is. Our understanding shows itself by showing God to be our guide. He's teaching us His own will. He's teaching us how to walk. We're promoting the glory of God in our life as we walk because He is our guide. It's a, it's a great sin against God to ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now again, how does the Spirit talk to us? The Spirit speaks to us through His Word. Oftentimes, people have this idea, this really weird, mysterious thing that God asked them to do something and it's contrary to His Word. God's not going to ask you the Spirit to do something contrary to His Word or some new revelation. He's going to just ask us to walk according to the understanding that you already have, and the Spirit's going to remind us of Christ and the Word. Not some new revelation. So Paul, challenging them to regulate your life, understand the will of God by taking God to be your guide to the Spirit. Promote the glory of God. Now leads us to verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeem literally means to buy time, to buy back. Now we understand we cannot buy back time. There's no way for us to bring back the last hour. There's absolutely no way, no matter how much money I have, can I give you the last hour back. There's no way to do it. There's no way to travel back and say, okay, I wasn't too careful in that moment of time, so I'd like a do-over. I want to redo that. No, that time, we're called to be careful and use it diligently. Again, it's connected with our walk. Okay, that's the context. Connected with our walk. Use that time to the best advantage that promotes the glory of God as God is our guide to the Spirit. Time is valuable. Now, 
we understand God doesn't work on the same sense of time that you and I do. We are, we are very much bound by time. God's timing is often much different, and therein lies a lot of the problems when we talk about the will of God and time. But we should not squander away time that we have. Uh, you folks share with me times when people's time here comes to an end. When time that we thought we had, precious time with family, will someday come to an end. Time can't be recalled. I can't make it last longer. I can't stop the sun, although we see an Old Testament event where the time stopped and was reset, but that was God doing it, right? That wasn't man doing it. But what do we do with our time? If we're going to promote the glory of God and the Holy Spirit's going to be our guide, then we should be attending and thinking upon the Word and the Gospel. Thinking upon the excellency of who God is. The private and public exercise of what we believe. Folks, I can't tell you how important the gathering of saints is. This might just seem like an event we do a couple times a week, but I can't tell you how much the gathering of the believer strengthens and promotes the glory of God. That we're setting aside time to think upon who He is and what He's done for us. And yet, it's not just so that we can say, hey, we walked right. It actually is an advantage to, our, to ourselves spiritually. It does good to us. And it does good to others. It shouldn't be neglected. Redeem that time. Time comes from that word redeem. And the, Paul, the reason Paul gives for that redemption of time, he says in the very next phrase, he says, because the days are evil. That's a profound statement, isn't it? You don't, all you have to do is open your eyes and you can see how evil the days are. And Paul wrote about evil days in his hour. And yet, what does it mean? What are evil days? Evil days are days where sin abounds. Iniquity tends to have, seems to have the preeminent place. Seems like the wicked are getting away with more and more. Seems like more error is being accepted. More heresy is arriving. It seems like... It seems like every week I hear a new theological heresy. And I kid you not. I mean, that's how, that's how rapidly these things are being turned out. I mean, just when I think I've heard it all, I hear somebody, some other guy stand up and say, oh, I, I believe this. And I'm like, it's rampant. I mean, just kind of a sidelight here. Man, even be careful about what you, what you stream on YouTube and be sure that what you're actually hearing is actually biblically accurate. It's amazing. People share stuff with me and they say, hey, this is so good. And I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> but the person was so passionate and sincere. It's not good. Why? Because it's not true doctrine. There's heresy in it. See, even those things, we have to remember that evil abounds not just in the obvious darkness. Folks, I don't have to take you. I can take you by certain establishments. We could get in a car today and drive by, and I can point, and I can say, now, do you think inside of there something good's going on? And most of us would say, well, no, absolutely not. But how often do we go by a church, we just assume it's a church, and we say, is something good going on in there? We say, sure, it's a church. Not everything going on and everything has a church on it is something good going on in there. 
some of it so far removed from anything in the scripture says, it's not good. Even tending to where we walk that way. How do we use our time? Do we redeem the time for those things that are godly or those things which are of the dark? Evil days, I think Paul also was referring to. Remember, where was Paul? Paul was in prison. Evil days are also marked by affliction and persecution. Folks, none of this that happens in our world today should shock us. We should expect persecution. We should expect affliction. We should hate. We should expect the hatred to increase. And we sit around and we say, what's going on? Folks, listen, this is, these are the very things in which Christ proclaimed would happen because of his name. We, we are quickly, as believers in the gospel of Christ, we are quickly moving towards becoming what the society would say. Those are the outcasts of society. Those, as in Paul's day, the people of that way. That was an insulting expression in Paul's day, you realize. That wasn't, oh, they're the people of that way. No, it was that way. The hatred that Paul himself had as the Pharisee of the Pharisees, who consentingly agrees and watches and rejoices in the stoning of Stephen. And yet now we read his letters from prison saying, listen, I want you to redeem the time. I want you to walk circumspectly. Watch how you walk. Realize there are many evil things that are prevailing. There were heresies in Paul's day. By redeeming the time, Paul instructs the Ephesians to consider his exhortation with regard to the time. The days are evil. Everything around us has an intent. It's amazing to me. This is something so important. I think we should teach our young people. And this is one of the, this is one of the joys of how we structure our church with this family integrated model where we're all sitting here together. Is because I want you to understand that your kids and the intention towards your children, there's nothing happening by accident. Okay? This is not, this is not just somebody's just, oh, we, we meant good. I want you to know there's an intentional attack at the very foundations of your home, and there's an intention with the children. Because if you can get those kids at a very young age to start believing some of these things. Folks, I've watched it happen. I've watched something that seems innocent. I've watched that child grow, and I've watched that child then, later on, exhibit what they were introduced to years prior. I'm just old enough that I'm starting to see this. There was a time when I would say, I'm, I've not been at this long enough. I really don't know anybody this is happening to. It's happening all around, and it's happening in Christian families. It's, 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 in the, it's already in the church. It's already in believers' homes. And sometimes it was something that we thought, this is so innocent, but yet there was an intent by the producer of whatever that innocence was to get in here and get in here. Your children need to be taught how to walk circumspectly. Don't expect a child and don't ever buy the lie to say, well, kids need to learn for themselves. You are making the most horrendous mistake you'll ever make. You don't let them think for themselves. What will, what will we do? We would go off on our own way. You've got to teach them to walk circumspectly. Teach them to redeem the time. Teach them even at a young age, listen, no, this right here, this is wrong teaching. And 
these days that are evil, we often just look at it and say, well, yeah, what we see on the television and we see, yes, those are all evil things, but I want you to understand that there's an intent. There's an intent that I firmly believe will not just be at very low superficial levels, but will eventually be at a very high level where that will be the norm of society. Where there will be an intentional attempt to throw out all the outcasts of society, which are the people of that way. It's not your imagination, folks. It's, you're not seeing things. It's actually happening. And it's happening with the intent. When Paul's saying walk, circum, he's saying walk circumspectly because the days are evil, he's telling them you're walking in a day and an age. And if it was that way in Paul's day, imagine what it is now. So redeem it. Corruption has infected every age. Sometimes we look at what we see in our world and we say Satan's already got a foothold there. But remember, time can't be dedicated to God without it some way being redeemed. We have to buy back, take that time for ourselves. We have to use that time in its proper manner. Listen, there are things that we allow ourselves to be drawn away with that the best thing we could do would be to remove it from our lives entirely. I know that's unpopular stuff, but you're just going to have to deal with that aspect of it. There's things that are luring you away and you don't even realize it. There are things that are battling for your time that are pulling you away and you don't even realize it. There are things that are there that on the, on the surface, there's not a thing wrong with it on the surface. But its ultimate goal is not on the surface. Its ultimate goal is on the inside, and that's where the, that's where the allurement is. Again, those are things you have to be challenged with yourself, and you have to examine your own life and look at it. I can't sit here and tell you every single thing. You need to pull yourself away. But I do know if the Spirit is our guide, the will of the Lord is, is that we are to promote the glory of God and that we are allowed the Spirit to be our guide, I am certain, because I'm certain in my own life, there are things clearly from the Word that God has said through the Spirit, you need to pull yourself away from that, that I'm not pulling myself away from it, not because I don't know, but because I don't want to. Yeah, it happens to preachers and pastors too. It does. We have the, I have the same struggle you do. I have the same allurement you do. I don't live in a protective bubble, folks. The, the, the reason I'm standing up here is not because I'm somehow better or, or greater. I'm just simply trying to be a mouthpiece and say, listen, these are the things that we see and we're all sharing in these experiences together. Paul wasn't writing as some high and holy Pharisee saying I'm better than you. He knew his own struggle. He knew his own struggle in prison. You know, Paul dealt with sin problem in prison. Imagine that. You think all of his thoughts were pure and perfect? No. Just because we don't read every thought of Paul's catalog doesn't mean that he didn't have impure thoughts. Right? So, redeeming this time, be eager to use the time in every possible way to live it according to the way of God. Oftentimes, instead of standing up for what we, what we believe and buying back the time for ourselves, we make an apology for why we're doing what we're doing. Folks, can we please stop apologizing for trying to walk in a Christ-like way? Stop prefacing everything by saying, you know, I know you're probably not religious. Where did that come from? 
Stand on the truth of God's word and say, listen, I do this because this is what I believe about God. Not because I'm sorry I'm going to offend you. I'm not talking about being cruel and obnoxious. But just stand for the truth and don't apologize for it. It, it'll cost us something. It always costs you something. It might cost you family. And I'm not telling you to intentionally, I'm just telling you, you take a stand for Christ and you take a stand to how you're going to use your time and how you're going to walk for God, you're going to lose some people along the way. It's inevitable. But when we consider what Christ has done for us, that's why Paul is telling them to walk in a certain way. People who do not know Christ are not going to have a desire to walk this way. Because they don't understand. I don't know what it is to be redeemed. I don't know what it is to be saved from my sin. But then notice what Paul says in verse 17. He says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the, Lord, the will of the Lord is. The unwise are those who do not redeem the time. The unwise are those who are ignorant willfully of the will of the Lord. Believers should not act as unwise in their talk or in their walk, in their conversation, or even how they use their time. Be wise in all those things. Honestly, it sounds cliche, but every minute of your life actually does matter. It really does. Every minute of, of our opportunity to live for the glory of God actually matters. And it matters because it's part of understanding the will of the Lord. One of the greatest challenges, and I, I, I'll spare you all the details, but I remember going through this, again, I don't do this a lot, but I, I think this is applicable. I had this great yearning to understand what God's will was for me. And this, this, happens, this happens almost inevitably during the teen years. Okay? It, it, and if you, if you grew up in the environment I did, you'd understand why it happens. But it happens to where everybody just wants to know, what the, what's the will of God for me? And they start asking all the questions. What's the will of God for me for who I'm going to marry? What's the will of God for my job? What's the will of God for this? And we all want this big thing. We want the big picture. I want to know who God wants me to marry. I want to know who God wants me to do for a career. But then we understand and we point to Romans 12 where God talks about the reasonable service. And serving the Lord and, and simply you know, the thing, he, Paul wrote there in Romans 12, he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the God, which is your reasonable service. I was always struck by that thought. A living sacrifice. Something that is put to death but lives. Those two, those two words don't go together. A living sacrifice acceptable unto God, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I would tell people that. The will of God is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. That doesn't sound very exciting. That doesn't tell me what I want to know. I want to know who my spouse is going to be. I want to know who my job is going to be. It's presenting your body as a living sacrifice. How you walk, how you talk. It's understanding what the will of the Lord is. And Paul goes on in Romans 12, he said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
You see, this rule of God, and and again, time's not going to allow us, but I want you to think about there's always this secret will of God. And don't let that be something spooky and mysterious. But there's the, the will of God that is ruling everything He does. Okay? There's parts of God's will it is impossible for you to know. Now, I've seen people try it. They'll say, this happened because God's doing this. Just, be, just don't do that. Because a lot of times you're just guessing. Okay? There's the will of God that in these events in our life where we look at it and we say, I know what's going on. You really don't know what's going on. You just don't know how God is doing, why he's doing what at the time he's doing it. Because there's also the idea that sometimes that will of God's not revealed until something factual actually shows up. Sometimes it's years before we realize why God did what he did. And you look back years down the road and you say, you know what, I didn't know what God was doing at the time, but it sure looks like a connection now. But there is that secret will, but then there's also the revealed will. The revealed will of God, which partly lies in the Gospels, but it's very, very much declared here what Paul was saying. That part of his revealed will is that we are, as Philippians tells us, to work out our own salvation, which means to live and to walk in accordance with God's revealed will. We understand that part of God's revealed will says this, that whosoever believes in him will be saved. And by the way, even believers of sovereign grace, we truly do believe that. Don't let somebody fool you and think, hey, we're holding the gospel to ourselves. Listen, every single person in the world We're commanded to tell them to repent and believe the gospel. We don't look at the world and say, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. I'm not giving it to you. And we are whosoever people because we know that whosoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. All we're saying is that it's all up to God, but we're still proclaiming the message to everybody, right? So that's part of God's will. It's his will, whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. That's great comfort to me. So when someone accuses our church and says, you don't believe in whosoever will, absolutely we do. We absolutely do. There's, it's just we have a little bit of a different view as to how that whosoever got there. But whosoever got there to the glory of God, which is how it all adds up, right? So that I'm, I can't leave, I'm not left saying, look what I did. No, my testimony now becomes, no, I prayed this and got saved. Now my testimony becomes, he saved me by his grace. Amen. And, but what did you do? <laughs> really nothing. <laughs> did you earn it? No. Did you do a lot of good deeds? No. No, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it, I really was undeserving of it. And if I'm really honest with myself, I'm still undeserving of it. And if I'm really, really honest... Really, if God did what I should get, he should strike me dead right now and he should send me to hell and separate it from him for all of eternity. That's what he should do. But somehow in this revealed will of God, he has included me in that. <laughs> and that's part of his revealed will. And if we have been saved, <clears throat> we are to persevere to the end. We are to live for him. We are to live with his glory in view. We are to not be offended by the law when God's word says, you know, you ought to live this way. Uh, we ought to obey the commands. Why? Because it's the perfect and acceptable will of God. But the understanding of the will of the Lord is not something speculative. It's not something we just have an idea. I think this is what it is. It should lead us to practical living. 
When a person knows and does the will of God, our heart and our actions are all in agreement with this. We do it by faith. We live in faith. We don't have a dependence on, we're not depending on what we're doing. We have God's glory in view. Anything we know and understand about God comes from the understanding that the Spirit gives us. That's the only way I know. The psalmist in Psalm 1-2 said, He whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates in it day and night. The revealed will of the Lord is to delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it. I'm convinced one of the reasons we don't love the Lord and we don't love the, the Word of God the way we should is we don't meditate on it long enough. We give God two minutes in the morning before we go to work. Two minutes if we're lucky. We read a quick blurb and we say, okay, I'm good. Meditation is a whole different thing. It is the, it, you might get stuck on a verse for a whole week and that's okay. We want to run from Genesis to Revelation just to tell somebody, hey, I read the whole Bible. Great. Did you comprehend any of it? Or meditate on one verse. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Listen, folks, there's not anything Satan's going to be able to throw in your way when you've been meditating on the Word of God and redeeming the time properly. Everything he's hurling at you is a lie. Every bit of it. And yet, how do we defend that? Part of the will of the Lord is to know these things. David also asked the question in Psalm 119 about how shall, a, how, how shall a young man direct his way? It's interesting that it's always dependent upon the view of God. Our view of God is what directs our way. How do we know what the will of God is? By the word of God directing our way. It's in uh, Psalm 119. If you want to turn there, we'll bring this to a close. But I want you to notice this. He says in the very first part of Psalm 119, he said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Or how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Listen, you want to you raise a child for the glory of God. Right there. There it is. A delight to walk in the will of God. The will of God is not supposed to be something that's agonizing. It's not supposed to be something that says, listen, I tell you, it's really hard to walk for God. We ought to delight in it because we've meditated on his word and we meditate on what he's done. 
one of the greatest remedies against our own sin is to guard the purity of our own heart and our own life. We take heed to how we walk. Time is given to us by God, and it's lost when we don't use it according to His purposes. Listen, whatever time we have left, again, I'm not pulling on emotional heartstrings. Don't take it that way. This is just fact. Listen, whatever time you have left, whether that's long or short, you ought to use it diligently for the glory of God. That may mean you have to make some decisions in your life about things that you need to remove, things you need to do. Emphasis you need to place on other things. But listen, there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that's worth more than the conversion and the salvation of your soul. No matter how glittery it is, no matter how much glamour it, it, it promises, no matter how much prestige, none of it supersedes or is greater than what we have in Christ. Listen, people often talk about, hey, there's just not enough time. I don't think it's a question of time. I think it's an unwise use of time. Again, don't be unwise. Know, understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not a badge of honor to remain ignorant. That's, that's another whole thought for another whole day. What is the will of the Lord? Take heed to how you walk. The will of the Lord is don't be a fool. Don't follow the fashion of this world that's passing away. Don't see to yourself and the glory here, but see to your calling. Meditate upon your election of God. Examine your faith. Take daily inventory of actually how you're walking. Daily. How's your prayer life? How's your devotional life? How's your worship? How's your attitude? Boy, there's a good one we could park on. We can clean up the outside and our attitude is awful, right? Wise men walk with God. Wise men walk with Him in a way by diligently being careful of their time. Paul says, why? Because the days are evil. Do not be unwise. Walk circumspectly and seek the will of the Lord and understand what it is. The Spirit has to give us that understanding. But Paul has given us the principles to certainly act upon. Let's pray together and then we're going to close in a, we'll close with a hymn together. Let's pray and then we'll stand and be dismissed and sing in just a moment. Father, we thank you for the preciousness of your word today. And Lord, I realize today it's not my words that are saving. It's not my words that are instructing. We need the power of the spirit, each and every one of us. But Lord, as your word has been proclaimed and taught today, may we take heed personally to our own walk. It's so easy to get caught up in what someone else is doing or not doing, and we miss what the Spirit is dealing with us about. Father, help us to honestly examine our own life and examine our faith. And if there be a lack of salvation, that through the power of the Spirit, eyes would be opened, ears would be unstopped to repent and believe the gospel. And Father, if there is the prone to wonder in us that are believers, I pray that our eyes would be turned back to you and that we would not be allowed to wander away, but that we would desire to be restored unto the joyous fellowship. Father, thank you for allowing us this time together. And Lord, we are grateful to be able to assemble with believers, to lift up the name of Christ and to lift it boldly. 
Lord, we ask now that as we dismiss in just a few moments, that we will be doers of your word and not just hearers. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray. Amen. Let's stand all around if you would, and if you'd like to turn over to one.